Hello, Barry. What time is it? I think it's time for Across the Pond, Chad. It is indeed time for Across the Pond. It's our weekly episode. We are finally here, Barry. I rolled out of bed this morning, literally rolled on the floor, somehow found my way into the seat. <laughs> uh, because how dark it is outside. I feel like I'm that guy that is just waking up the neighbors. I feel like I should still be in bed. <laughs> so that, that that time of year, Chad, where you, you're getting up and you kind of, you feel like, oh, do I really want to get out of bed? You push that snooze button again and <laughs> yep, again yep. and again because you don't have that sunlight streaming in. And so I feel for you, dude. I feel for you. Right this side, we have lots of sunlight. And so yep. 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m., it's coming through the curtains. My curtains aren't that good at blacking it out. So it's kind of a natural <laughs> alarm for me, Chad. That's great. You're in tune with your circadian rhythm. There's nothing better, Barry, than being woken up by the sunlight. So I bet you've you've done it all this morning. You've uh, gone out for a long run. You've uh, you know eased into the day, or am I am I overstating things? You actually, you're actually 100% right, Chad. I went hey. to the gym this morning. I got my, my lifting in, did a little bit of running and some rowing, which was really good. Nice. Came back, had a nice shower, did some work, uh, got ready for the show. And now I'm ready to tackle the rest of Sunday with all the vigor that I've got. Oh my gosh, you're just making me feel like I'm failing at life, Barry. Waking up at, at uh, sort of hopper seven, have done <laughs> nothing at all. Uh, but anyway, it's okay. We will get to summer eventually. <laughs> and I'll find my way into that groove again. Let's chat about the week that was. Let's do it, Chad. Let's do it. The week that was. So why don't I kick off this morning, Chad, while you're warming up those vocal folds and getting into, into the, the swing of your Sunday morning. And we're going to start with something on this side of the pond. Uh, a very interesting story, in my opinion, because it's something that I didn't expect to see, but it's, it looks quite fascinating. And cool. basically, there's a grocery store here in South Africa called Checkers, a very, very popular store. It's very widely spread across the country. It's very, very popular with a lot of the country. And it's very much a, a kind of a discount grocery store. It's not a Woolworths. It's not trying to compete with the guys who are right at the top of that food chain they're selling much more reasonably priced stuff and it's kind of for your your ordinary south african and uh, yeah. I, I i for one do a lot of my shopping there it's a really really nice kind of store and, and it's, it's really you can find them absolutely everywhere and they are trying to compete in a brand new market, Chad. They are trying to compete against the giant that is Woolworths, which is kind of the upmarket okay. retailer here in the country. And they've opened up what they're calling a Fresh X store, which is like a new brand of stores they're bringing out, which are much more higher market. And they've opened their very first one in Rosebank Mall. And Chad, let me read out some of the things that are part of this grocery experience, because it's way more than just a grocery store. So let me t tell you about some of these things. They've got a honey bar where they're selling okay. like artisanal honey they've got stone baked pizza you can order straight out of the oven from the middle of the grocery store there's a sit down sushi bar in the middle of checkers what? which is kind of crazy to say a chocolatier bar to get like very very fancy chocolates they've got an in-store kawaii which is like a, oh, a, a smoothie and very healthy eating uh, restaurant in the middle of the shop they've got an in-store starbucks chad for your coffee fix when you're running running through that store <laughs> and all of these things are part of this brand new fresh x brand of checkers stores and it's kind of crazy in my opinion yeah, that is crazy, especially because, like you say, Checkers is normally targeting the kind of the lower LSM. Um, but but that's really interesting. It's an interesting move. Um, so is this a different named store or does it fall within the normal Checkers brand? And also, Barry, you've made me realize that I'm missing Kauai more than I thought I was. <laughs> 
oh, those Kawhi smoothies are the only reason that Discovery <laughs> Vitality works, Chad. So I yeah. get my smoothie every week if I do my exercise, which is <laughs> it's not always the case. But yes, Kawhi is amazing and, and, and it really is one of the highlights of the week. I think that it's under the Checkers brand as far as okay. I know. I haven't seen the store myself, but I think it's under the Checkers brand. So it'll still have Checkers as a sign, but they're kind of calling it a fresh X like okay. kind of yeah. experience or fresh X as a almost a suffix after it. So Checkers fresh X, I think is how they're branding it. Um, because they, they want to keep the 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 nature of the store, but it's just a higher, like you say, a higher LSM and different kind of experience in these stores. What's been really amazing, Chad, is how many stores they've opened in recent times, right? In a, yeah. in a year where retailers have been demolished across the board. Of course, food re retailers have been relatively okay because of the essentials that they sell. Mm. But for the most part, retailers have been closing left, right, and center. But Checkers have opened five new stores in Gauteng in the last month. Sure. So they are expanding. They've got lots of opportunity. For, they've got lots of like plans and strategies to expand their operations. And this is one example of how they are like getting out of their comfort zone, Chad, and building something new that we didn't really expect from a, a lower LSM grocery store. Really interesting. I guess if they want to really compete with the likes of Woolworths, they need to come up with some original products as well, some of their own no-name brand type stuff, uh, and, and start to build that kind of quality association that we do with Woolworths um, in, in the way that they've done, because I think that is one of Woolworths' differentiating features. Definitely. And that's going to be the major challenge of this is how do you shift the consumer mindset to think of checkers if you're in that LSM, right? Mm. Woolworths has this brand that it's just, it's like almost a status symbol here in South Africa. If you're wealthy and if you have lots of money, you do your shopping at Woolworths and it is a kind of a status thing because of how much more expensive and how much yep. more handmade and artisanal and free range and all the, the those kind of aspirational things Woolworths does. If checkers want to compete, like you said, they're going to have to find ways to compete with that. And it's going to be a difficult challenge because to change the mind of your consumer, to make you think differently like that is, is very, very tough. What they have done very well, Chad, and what I've seen as being very innovative during this lockdown process is that they've done very well with their deliveries. So right yeah. at the beginning of lockdown, when they realized that people weren't going to be keen to go into grocery stores, they opened up this 60-minute delivery anywhere in the country, basically. And wow. so you would go into the app and you would order your groceries from checkers and they'd have personal buyers who'd go and collect it and deliver it to you within 60 minutes. Hmm. And that was a huge innovation that we expected to see from other retailers, people like Woolworths, and that didn't happen from people like Woolworths. So checkers have really shown that they, they have the guts and they have the, the, the strategies in place to try and innovate and try and change the way they are perceived in people's minds it only time will tell if they actually succeed on that that 60 minute thing is really good that's really handy to have um i'd be really curious to know what the kind of delivery charges are on that um because obviously with with that service you're asking essentially someone to go in and collect all your all your goods um and then obviously do the, de the delivery it's, it's not just a simple delivery whereas i know you know a lot of other kind of grocery chains elsewhere in the world like here would have a central warehouse uh, that would maybe even have automated bots or something collecting this this bag of goods and then you're only looking at the delivery so, so what are the what are the kind of prices like uh, on this service definitely chad the delivery fee funnily enough is 35 rand flat what? which is a crazy cheap delivery fee and, and way lower than i would have expected and so it really is a huge innovation in that perspective and i think it's done really well if you go to checkers here at the moment chad 90 percent of the people in the store are not buying for themselves they're running around with a little phone with all their lists on and yeah. they're getting for other people so it really has become a huge part of checkers business 
And so I think it's interesting to watch how the grocery stores are going to change their business models as a result of this new kind of delivery landscape, this new kind of online shopping world that's been forced by COVID, combined with this new experiential store they're trying mm. in some of these upmarket places with these honey bars and chocolate bars. And so what you might see is that your standard grocery stores become very much delivery focused, where you've got these more higher end stores, which are more experiential yeah. and, and kind of go beyond just going to get the, the list of your milk and eggs and all your basics, right? And so I wonder if that's going to be the way that grocery stores move forward because COVID's kind of reminded us that the way we've shopped in the past doesn't have to be the way we shop going forward. That's a really good pivot on their side and that delivery fee is really appealing. Like that's less than two pounds on, on this side here. Whereas for context, Barry, if you're doing a Tesco delivery uh, which you need to book a slot for like a week in advance, etc., etc., etc. I think you're paying something like between sort of four and six pounds, depending on, I guess, whether you opt for like a membership option as well. You can do that and, and get some sort of discount. But I mean, less than two pounds in the likes of checkers is insanely appealing. And like you say, you've got that 60 minute window. You don't have to actually prepare for this in advance and, and all that admin. You can kind of just do it when you want. To be honest, I have no idea why anyone would opt to actually go into a store ever again with that kind of price point. Exactly. And Chad, also, it helps to avoid the other problem, which I don't know if you have the same thing, is when I walk in with a list and I end up buying <laughs> lots of stuff I didn't actually have on the list because oh. I walk past the chocolate aisle, I work past the, the bakery, yep. and I end up buying stuff I didn't intend to buy. Whereas if I'm on the app, I can hopefully kind of control myself and just order what I actually need. And so it actually yep. might end up saving you even more money in that respect. It definitely does. It 100% does. So we've switched to ordering uh, through Tesco, basically, getting it delivered every week um, just because of the, t the amount of time that it takes. And also in London, you've got the added problem of carrying your groceries home. You don't have a car. You can't just <laughs> zip it in. Um, and, and so carrying heavy packets is also quite a mission. Uh, so we've, we switched to that. But at the beginning of lockdown, Barry, because obviously now we've got the full idea of what three meals a day at home might look like in terms of your grocery shopping list, we were spending, I'd probably say, two to three times the amount. Um, and it also, I guess, depends on the state of your belly when you're busy shopping. You might be hungry <laughs> and just grabbing more things than you need. Where, yeah, when you're shopping online, you're looking at that running total. Um, and making decisions based on that. It's such a bad habit that I'm in, Chad, because I live this kind of bachelor life where I live in this <laughs> flat. And so I kind of wait until I have like no food left, right? You wait till the fridge is absolutely empty because I hate shopping. Yep. And then I do end up going to the shop hungry. And that's just a terrible, terrible decision to make because you end up buying so much more than you realized. And so, yeah, I think it, it's going to be interesting to watch how it changes consumer behavior if it happens over the longer term. And I think the checkers for me are the most innovative kind of food retailer I'm seeing in the country, which is... Very surprising because you'd expect people like giants like Pick and Pay and Woolworths to be on the forefront and checkers yep. kind of to remain a discount uh, shop. But they are showing that if you have the, the balls and the investment and, you, and you're willing to kind of try and pivot, you really can change things. And so we'll have to wait and see what happens with them in the next couple of years. Yeah, that really is such a nice story to hear, Barry. And just to hear of all the jobs that have been created uh, during this time mm -hmm. that I guess has put so many people out of work. Uh, is is really wonderful to hear and uh, that's just a great story i know in terms of this delivery service the first retailer that i know offered it was pick and pay 
and anyone who lives in Johannesburg would have got stuck between their little, uh, I don't know what you what you call it. It's it's kind of it's not quite a fully sized car. It's like a motorbike with a cart on the back of it, uh, and it really is annoying yeah. when you get stuck between one of the behind one of those. Uh, but at that time, it didn't seem like too many people were were keen on it. Do you have any ideas why that might have been? I just think South Africa's culture wasn't an online shopping culture. Mm. I think a lot has changed because of COVID, and I think places like Uber Eats and those kind of delivery apps have really changed the landscape on that. But like a year or two ago, South Africans weren't buying anything online, really. There wasn't that delivery culture of order something and then come and get delivered at the gates. One of the things that makes South Africa unique is that a lot of our houses, there's a lot of security to get mm. to to actually yeah. drop things, something off, True. right? In, in first world countries, people can come and drop packages at the, at the door and mm. it kind of is not that not that big of a deal. In South Africa, you're dealing with, with guards, you're dealing with like complexes, you're dealing with like lots of security. And so mm. some of the deliveries have been very difficult to make because if you're not home when the person arrives, you can't really accept it because it isn't that idea of just dropping it off at the door. And so I think that's one of the reasons that South Africa has kind of lagged in this online shopping kind of world. But I think it's shifting quickly, Chad. I've certainly seen in my behavior and the behavior of the people yeah. around me that we are shifting that way. And I think COVID has kind of forced us to, to recognize that. And as a result, because of the increased demand, deliveries are getting better and better and, and, and more, fi- more affordable, more convenient. There are tons and tons of delivery drivers going all the time. Yeah. And so I think that that is a trend that's going to continue. And uh, I think we will catch up with the rest of the world when it comes to ordering it on an app, kind of waiting for it to deliver the next day or in two days' time, and kind of becoming much more fair with that sort of shopping. Amazing. Well, definitely a space to watch out on. Uh, I will definitely be interested to, to hear of future developments there. So in terms of obviously how COVID has affected this world, we always look at spending ability, Barry. We look at the uh, disposable income that households have. And I guess a, a, a guilty kind of treat a lot of people uh, do on a weekly basis is buy their lottery ticket. Uh, because who knows, one in a million chance you might, uh, you know, hit the right numbers and become a millionaire. And uh, some news coming out of that front this week. Some really bizarre news, Chad. Something that is, I think, is quite amusing, but it's kind of caused a bit of a stir here in the mm. country. So basically, South Africa, as most countries do, has a has a weekly lotto, and and the, the prize money is significant. Like you say, it's life changing amounts of money. Mm. And so, if you go and pay your 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 five bucks or whatever it is to buy a lot of ticket these days, and and you kind of you, you pick your numbers, and there's one to forty nine. You got to try and figure out cool which ones I'm going to go for. Am I going for my birthday numbers? Do I have a favorite number? Like, what is the strategy? <laughs> This week, Chad, the winning numbers were, listen to this, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and the Powerball was 10. <laughs> so it sounds ludicrous that, that of one to 49, the winning numbers yeah. are all in a row like this, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. What's even more ludicrous, Chad, is guess how many people actually won this lotto by picking those numbers? 20 winners this week. Oh my God. 20 people picked 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 and won themselves 5.7 million rand each. How insane is that? I'm not surprised that 20 people won because a lot of people don't know what approach to follow, right? So 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, <laughs> 10 is kind of just, you know, yeah, sure, let's pop some numbers down on a page. Uh, but in terms of that being the draw, I mean, I guess technically speaking, I guess it, it's plausible, right? It's, it's possible. Uh, the probability is extremely low. But let's think about a game of poker, Barry, where you've got like a, a straight or something. I mean, what are the chances of that happening? And it, it happens. Um, so it, it really is interesting. I know for a long time, the South African lottery has had all these accusations of having magnets in the balls and all sorts of weird <laughs> and wonderful things. 
Um, but but that really is uh, quite interesting mm-hmm. because technically speaking, it's possible, it's plausible, but like being realistic, what are the chances really? But that's why I find this so fascinating, Chad, is the way we think about probability is not is not ra- rational. Because yeah. if you think about it, that, that five-number sequence is just as likely as any other sequence, right? <laughs> any other sequence is exactly the same probability. Yeah. And I think the probability is one in 42 million. I think that's the oh, calculation. Wow. <laughs> so, so that is the probability of that happening. But it's as equally likely for a random assortment of numbers. Mm-hmm. But just because they happen to be next to each other, our minds immediately say... There's something there. There's fraud there. There's, there's a problem that's happened there. Yeah. And it's something weird about human psychology where we don't understand how probability works, right? And so everyone is calling for fraud and calling for a scam. This is just as unlikely as any other set of numbers. And that's what we don't get in our brains sometimes because it feels so bizarre. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Rationally looking at that, looking at that random chance, I mean, 42 million 375,000 that's just insane that's just insane um but yeah good on good on the 20 people who started their sequence with five um and, and they decided to to go in that manner i mean good on them <laughs> you got to take a bit of a risk barry you got to have some uh, some skin in the game to to actually win one of these things how i would be very surprised barry is if somebody selected one of those uh, random uh, options i can't remember what it's called where you you don't know what you're going to select you don't know what your numbers are going to be and so you click auto on the pick auto pick uh if yes. one of those 20 was an auto pick then i then i'd be very intrigued <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely i think there's gonna be a lot of investigation going into this there's been a little bit of a stir on social media so we'll have to wait and see if anything comes of that it's almost like the donald trump thing it's like there's there's allegations of fraud but no evidence so far we'll have to wait and see what happens <laughs> oh gosh and yeah i mean that is an organization that for many years has had a lot of scrutiny on it because a lot of the the kind of money is supposed to go to charity and apparently they haven't been doing their their fair part on that um so you know they are certainly used to having the the eyes turned on to them yeah definitely and it, it's that that's what makes us so much more kind of worrying some some people is that mm. there has been a past and there has been kind of things about this in the past so yeah i don't i don't know what's the case we'll have to wait and see but i think it's interesting how our minds immediately jump to that if this was any other set of numbers it wouldn't even wouldn't even made the news right yep. it wouldn't yep. even been talked about but just the fact that they happen to be next to each other makes <laughs> us think in different ways which i think is interesting when it comes to probabilistic thinking which is such a key part of, of thinking in general is understanding like what are what do odds mean and how does it actually work and how do we actually fathom what is random and what isn't. I think about the example of when you go to a blackjack table or, or even better, when you go to a roulette table and you see five yeah. reds in a row and then you think to yourself, it has to be black the next time. It just has to be, right? But the reality is that it's a 50% chance. Every <laughs> single roll is a 50% chance no matter yeah. no matter if there's been 300 reds before it. But our minds will tell us it has to be black the next time because the odds are, are better, but they just aren't, Chad. Yeah, that is fascinating. I've never been able to get my head around all of the various kind of compounding probabilities. Like you say, when you got rolls after another, um, trying to map out what you think is going to happen next. It, it, it's a fascinating start of <laughs> state of, uh, you know, just psychology, human psychology, I guess. Um, and I guess a big part of gambling as well. Now, let's move on, Barry, to you said there was something you can't fathom uh, about that number conversation. <laughs> And there's something I can't fathom this past week, and that is the release of <laughs> Apple's new AirPod Maxes, which are retailing for a price, a crazy price, Barry, of £550. Oh, 
Chad, it's such an Apple move. It is it is typical Apple <laughs> to bring out a product that is grossly overpriced, oh. that is kind of very confusing. Um, it's it's it, they're trying to go their own way with this thing. Their own Beats. They've got like this huge yep. headphone ring with Beats, yep. and they've gone a completely different direction. I don't understand the name, Chad. Why would you call it AirPods yep. as well? I don't get it. Um, there's so much I'm confused about in this story. In a year that seems to have been a really good year of releases for Apple, I honestly have been for every single one of the releases up to now. And we've seen, what was it, three releases? They've been busy, Barry. They've been really busy. Yeah. But I feel like That's tossing this one into the mix um, at that kind of price range, I just have no words. It's just insane. Uh, I think it's a wrong step. It reminds me, Barry, of when they released the HomePod, which as a device in itself was really good. Really good sound. Uh, you know, it was it was all was there for a market dominating product, but their price point just completely went above what what the market was willing to pay. And I personally think, based on the competitors that are out there in this noise cancelling over ear headphone space, I think that's going to happen here. Um, I mean, I mean, hopefully I'm wrong, but I, I honestly think that they've overshot their their price point here. Definitely. I mean, what they're saying with this price point is that the sound quality is going to be orders of magnitude better than what's already on the market. And I seriously doubt that's going to be mm. the case, right? So we have to wait and see like, when the reviews come in about the actual sound quality. But for that kind of price, you're expecting the best of the best mm. of the best. And you're competing in a very, very tough market, which has got lots and lots of competitors, lots of high-quality products. And yeah, it's, it's just a weird choice to make, especially when you've come out with AirPods Pro in the last kind of couple of months and it's a very, very big release for you and you're kind of pushing people to get these AirPods Pros and then you're now bringing out something like this, which is a bit, mm. a bit more of a confusing project, pro project for me. So I don't get it, Chad. I don't get the case. I don't get the look. It's, <laughs> it's yeah, it's, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I know, I know. And I was watching a YouTube review video where he goes through all of the bits of, all of the metrics and on every single one in isolation, it, it, it's behind on the competitors. It's heavier. It's, it's like you say, Barry, it's ugly. Yes, it has these uh, detachable magnetic ear cups, which, yeah, might help <laughs> once in two years when you need to actually change the things. Uh, but it does seem odd to yeah. base your whole design on that, you know, once-off thing that you're going to need to replace these. I mean, are you not backing the durability of the actual ear cups? Is, is that what you're saying? It's just odd. Exactly, and, and, and the design for me is the most confusing part. Have you seen this, the case, Chad? <laughs> it looks like you're going to be carrying a handbag around. It looks yeah. absolutely ridiculous. And so yeah. for Apple, who are the, like the number one designers in the world, like, un, like unarguably, yeah. to come out with something like this, which, which it doesn't fold, it's not that portable, you're going to carry a handbag around with, <laughs> with your AirPod Maxes in, it, yeah, I don't get it. I really don't get it. And that case thing, Barry, as well, it's, it's not like you have an option of using this thing. Because based on the way that they've designed these headphones, there is no on and off switch. There's no on off switch, Barry. So for you to actually not waste your battery, you have to put it inside the case so that the magnets can pick up that it's uh, you know, long, no longer in use and that the magnets can then put it into a sleep mode. So if you don't use the case, you're going to be paying quite a big <laughs> price. But if you do use the case, you're going to be paying a really big price as well because you're going to look terrible <laughs> you're just stuck between a rock and a hard place oh. chat and i don't see i don't see how they're gonna sell these things yeah. maybe i'm wrong apple have proved us wrong in the past and sometimes they are ahead of the game when it comes to setting trends but when i look at this product and i look at what they've released in the last year like you said i think mm. this is a weak kind of response i don't think it's going to work out the way they want it to but then again 
I've been wrong before, so we'll have to wait and see what happens, Chad. Yeah, your point about Beats is really an interesting one. It's the same question that I had when I saw this being released, because under the Apple brand, we've only really seen, uh, you know, the AirPods, the ones that you're wearing, the, the ones that I have, um, which are clearly very different to what you get from Beats. Beats obviously focusing more on the audio, I guess. It's, it's got more of a brand behind it, that Dr. Dre uh, good bass, punchy bass, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but to kind of go over that and release this, I mean, are they telling us that Beats is now not as premium as a brand as what they had kind of previously been trying to convince us it was? Uh, you know, what does this do for Beats? Yeah, it's a question I've been asking myself because ever since they bought Beats, I don't think that they've done enough with it, if that makes sense. Like there was this yep. ginormous acquisition, obviously like a huge brand behind it, like you say. And I I, I was under the impression they were going to integrate that into the Apple ecosystem yep. and make it a real key part of their whole thing. But for the most part, it's remained very much a separate sort of entity. Yep. And this was this would be a great, a great time to kind of pull the two together. And if you wanted to do proper over-ear headphones, then it would make sense to kind of pull the beats in. And so I don't quite understand what's happening behind the scenes there. I really thought that they would do more with this acquisition. Um, and at the moment, it kind of feels like it's still running at two separate companies and there's no real overlap. Um, because even the design, the thinking is very, very different in these AirPod Maxes to anything you're seeing in the Beats range. Yeah, so true. Um, I, I mean, I've had a pair of Beats headphones myself, and they're the third pair that I've had because the, the previous two just fell apart. Um, so so maybe <laughs> maybe that is the point. Maybe that is the point. Maybe the point is, well, maybe it was a bad purchase. Maybe they're regretting slightly their move. I mean, they have integrated it somewhat. They've got those uh, the, that little Apple chip in it that lets you... Uh, bring it close to a device and it all, you know, all those nice little integrations pull up and it's this wonderful animation that makes you feel good. Uh, but you're right, further than that, Barry, we haven't seen them roll out like Beats speakers in an actual Apple Mac uh, in the same way that a lot of companies like HP would have done with Bang & Olufsen or you know, we've seen various other companies with like Bose and all that kind of stuff, um, which like you, Barry, I kind of expected would have happened. Yeah, all, all good points, Chad. And I think we'll have to wait and see what happens with this release and, and see if this is a new direction Apple are going. Like you say, maybe they do regret that Beats purchase, <laughs> which is a tough purchase to regret because yeah. you spent a lot of money on it. Um, and so we'll have to wait and see what happens in 2021. Apple, of course, are always going to keep pushing the boundaries. And so who knows, Chad? Maybe, maybe we're wrong on this. We'll have to wait and see uh, what happens. Moving on to something that I find fascinating. We'll touch on it briefly, Chad, because I know we've spent a lot of time on this segment. <laughs> but basically, SpaceX had their brand new test of their rocket that they're trying to go to Mars with. The rocket is called Starship. Okay. And it's this, this ginormous rocket that can lift 100 metric tons, right? So it's a huge, Ooh. huge piece of equipment. And the idea is that this is what's going to be the first reusable rocket to go to the moon and eventually to Mars, which is Elon Musk's kind of long-term <laughs> plan. And so they've been testing this thing and they did their, one of their first public tests where they wanted to take the rocket off into the air, um, like do a little bit of like hover hovering, I think, and then come mm -hmm. down and try and land it again. And when they came down to land, Chad, as they hit the ground, the thing exploded <gasps> into a ginormous fireball. Oh and it gosh. is a, a video that's been shared all across social media. And then people like, it's, it's really a crazy video to watch. So I would encourage you to go oh, and find wow. the video if, if you're listening to this right now. But even though it exploded into a fireball, Chad, they still saw it as a success. And I thought that <laughs> was very interesting because before the, before the test was done, Elon Musk tweeted that, the, that they probably, he probably thought there was a one in three chance of everything working out the way it was supposed to, right? And, uh, 
uh, when it eventually exploded and whatnot, he tweeted out, Mars, here we come, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> and then he said that success, we, we're, not, we're not measuring success by the completion of those objectives. We're measuring yeah. about how much we can learn. And they got a lot of training data out of that, that, that explosion that was really important for them going forward. And so it's a weird thing to think about that you would spend millions and millions of dollars building this thing and then crash it and then be happy about crashing it because you got a little bit of extra data. But I guess it's just how rocket science works, Chad. And it's definitely not just a PR spin on Musk because he he doesn't mind tweeting that the Tesla share price is too high. Uh, he'll be frank with us if he, <laughs> if he thought it was a failure, right? Um, and, and that is really interesting. I find that fascinating. I need to go and watch that video um, because we this year watched these videos of of some amazing things happening and like you say Barry a, a kind of autonomous vehicle kind of going out and and returning back and landing at its very precise point we've seen all of this stuff from SpaceX this year so to see this kind of uh, a change and I suppose for all of the Elon Musk fans who who do see him as this kind of god almost um, would be very surprised to see this uh, this thing explode. It's an important reminder for us, Chad, because like you say, all we remember are those success stories, right? And that's what everyone tunes in to see. But if you think about when they were first trying to get reusable rockets to land, I think they only got it right on like the 18th attempt or something right. crazy. So the, t the SpaceX, there's a wonderful video online, one of my favorite videos on the internet, where SpaceX did a compilation of all of their failures in one video. So it's like four or five minutes and you can just watch failure after failure after failure after failure. So this is just part of, part of the game. And this, this is one reason why being in the rocket business is so risky and requires so much capital because in order to kind of push the boundaries of the stuff you have to risk crashing these things and when you crash it, it it's it's gone right it's finished because it explodes in a huge huge fireball and so yeah it's, it's a reminder to all of us is how much effort has to, has to go in in order to get those people to the international space station in order to reuse rockets and land them it kind of puts in perspective just how much they've accomplished to get to where they are today and this mars mission is on another level completely engineering wise because the amount of, of weight you have to be able to carry, the speed you have to be able to yeah. do it to get all the way to Mars and try and land on Mars, it's like an unbelievable engineering challenge. Mm. And so it's good to remind ourselves that in order to get there, Chad, we're going to have to crash a lot of rockets. Yeah, it's interesting. And I also came across another story this week, Barry, where I think China's trying to go to, to the moon again or something like that. Um, it, it's always very interesting, especially when you look at the, the, the countries and this race to the moon, uh, which I thought we were past. I thought I thought that was all gone and done <laughs> in the past, but but no, China's still going. Yeah, China always wants to be in the game, right? They're, they're the superpower that wants to be in all these conversations. And they are throwing a lot of money at their space program. Yeah. And so I think for the long, for longest time, it's been the US and Russia who've been the two competing powers when it comes to the space race. I think China want to be part of that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Barry, let's then move on to our next segment. Stuff I found interesting. Alrighty, I came across a story this past week that I thought was very, very interesting. Um, and that is, Barry, wait for this, that breakdancing is becoming a new sport for the Olympics 2024 Paris Games. Chad, when I saw this on the list, I, la I literally laughed out loud. I thought it was amazing. Uh, I can't wait to talk about this. It, it's... Uh, it, <laughs> the Olympics has changed so much. I was thinking about, let me try and collect my thoughts and let me try and uh, get, get around. When the Olympics started, Chad, back in ancient Greece, right, the whole idea was that you were going to test people's physical performance um, in very, very like human activities. So how fast can you run? How far can you jump? How far can you throw something? It was very much a kind of a celebration of human strength and human fitness right. and whatnot. 
I wonder if those Olympians from back in ancient Greece were to look at the Olympics today and see the huge variety of sports that are available mm. in the Olympics. I wonder what they would think, Chad, especially with something like breakdancing coming in 2024. Oh, absolutely, Barry. I mean, I also just think back to when we were growing up and we had all the the little TV games that we you would plug in with the cartridge and you play you play the various Olympic sort of sports and what that equivalent yeah. of game is going to look like for the next generation um i mean it's going to have to be three <laughs> or four editions right definitely and and everything is going to be part of the olympics i mean mm. the olympics is this wonderful celebration of human achievements and there's so many cool stuff i really love watching the olympics because you find sports that you never watch throughout yep. the rest of the four years right things like curling and think all these interesting things that I, I get addicted to and fascinated by during the olympics mm. and they keep adding they keep adding and adding and adding and adding break dancing the only kind of exposure i've had to it is in those step-up movies i don't know if you remember those movies yep. Yep. like that's kind of the only exposure i've got where you have this one-on-one dance battle and you kind of going back and forth and back and forth. So I've got no idea how you judge a breakdance competition. I've got no idea how you win. It's just fascinating that it's become an Olympic sport. Yeah, and that I guess that's driven behind uh, what's been happening in the world, right? So they obviously looked towards the the Red Bull uh, World Championships, um, which I believe there was a you know a final in 2019 that had 50 million viewers. Um, and so I guess as as a planner of an event, which was postponed, Barry was supposed to be this year. They've 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 had a bit of extra time, right? Um, and I guess they've kind of looked <laughs> inwards and looked at what's been happening around them and decided, well, actually, uh, there's enough demand. Uh, to compete on a countrywide level in the field of breakdancing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds crazy, Chad, but I think I, as far as I know, they tested at the Youth Olympics in the last one okay. and it seems to do relatively well. Cool. I saw a stat that there's one million people in the sport worldwide, sure. which I find hard to believe, but that's that's a huge <laughs> amount of people. And like you say, 50 million people watching that Red Bull World Championships. Maybe we maybe we love it, Chad. I've never watched a breakdance battle, but maybe it's insanely cool and maybe we'll eat our words. But at the moment, it seems a little bit weird to me. It almost feels like it's only a matter of time before we see some esports entering the arena of uh, the oh, Olympics has to too. Be. <laughs> um, has to be. Wait for the Fortnite gold medal <laughs> match. It's just gonna be. It's gonna be a weird world, Chad. It's gonna be a strange world. Uh, maybe 2027. Let's see. Okay, Barry, we've been wanting to have a, a conversation, and uh, it's it's just been I a bit of. I did my homework, Chad. <laughs> I finally did my homework. I know you've been pushing me, but I'm finally done. I'm finally done. Oh, well done, Barry. I mean, it's not every day <laughs> that you call kind of binge watching a series of of the Crown homework, but it is. It's a lot. It's a lot of content to get in, um, and I guess that detracts a lot from the other productive things that one might be doing. Um, but it is. It's good to to take a break. It's good to step away from all that stuff and get lost in in this world um and the crown is part fact part fiction and i it's something i guess we got to preface this conversation with uh, because there have been a lot of liberties that have been taken in in all seasons of the crown ultimately there are some factual pieces that they they kind of throw in there to, to make it feel like the whole thing is reality uh, but they, they are i mean all of the scripts that have been designed uh, you know, I guess they try to make it as authentic as possible, but they do. They do run away with with a few themes. Um, so off the bat, Barry, it's been a little while that since I watched it. I think three or four weeks. So I'm gonna have to get you know get up to scratch with with this topic again, get refreshed with it. Uh, <laughs> but what were your thoughts? 
Jeb, my first thought is that it is such a good show. Mm. Like the season four was brilliantly shot. The, yeah. the, 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 the scenic nature, the character development, the storyline, it is really, really one of the mm. best shows on TV I've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah. And so it was an absolute pleasure to kind of binge it and get back into it again. I really, I, I realized how much I missed it when I got stuck in again to, to, yeah. to the, the characters and whatnot. So first of all, it's a brilliant show. So if you haven't watched The Crown, do yourself a favor and get onto that immediately. It really <laughs> is a world-class show. Yeah. The second piece what you touched on is that how dangerous this mixing of fact and fiction can be because for someone like me and I think for a lot of people around the world who don't know British history that well, don't know the, the royal history that well, I kind of take all of it as fact yeah. because I don't have any other frame of reference yeah. right? and so it's very easy to run away with this idea that it's a documentary and you have to keep reminding yourself it's not a documentary <laughs> it's a piece of fiction that is based on some sort of real life events yeah. but it, like you say lots of liberties taken and so I don't know how much of it is truth or how much of it isn't but regardless the character mm. development and, and the, the nuance and the depth and the storyline is absolutely superb in, this, yep. in season four of course we, we meet Princess Diana for the first time and a lot of the season is, is based around her but we also see the reign of Margaret Thatcher as Britain's and the first female prime minister yep. and watching that is fascinating as well so lots of parallels between the two characters are drawn you see like this very very strong and independent and headstrong kind of prime minister compared to a princess who's really struggling mm -hmm. with mental health and is kind of all over the place in some cases and is treated quite poorly and and all these things so I, I find that the the comparison between those two female figures yep. to be probably the most interesting part of the season Chad. Yeah, it was. It was really quite the powerful, uh, you know, comparison that you constantly had running through this constant stream through every single episode, really. Um, and yeah, it just makes for such great viewing. And that casting, Barry, that is an ally of theirs. They really have cast all these characters so well. Um, so straight off the bat, Barry, based on this character development, etc., etc., what are your feelings towards Prince Charles? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chad, the way they portray both Prince Charles, but also the whole family, yeah. is, is as a very dysfunctional <laughs> family, right? They portray the royal family as lots and lots of lonely, sad people who are stuck behind this, these like giant palace walls mm. and try and make it out in public like everything is hunky-dory and everything is going well, but behind closed doors they are all miserable because they've had to choose this life of duty as opposed to a life they would have chosen if they weren't born into this family. And so I think Charles is portrayed as this figure who is kind of forced into a marriage he doesn't really want. He's in love with another woman that is also mm -hmm. married and so there's very like lots of drama there and he's forced into this marriage and at the beginning he seems like he's going to take on this responsibility and he wants to call. He's going to do what's right for the family and he's going to do it. And as time goes on as he starts to like learn about Diana and they start to like spend more time together they realize they don't actually know each other that well and they kind of raced into this marriage that probably wasn't advised and Diana mm. comes in as this 19 year old girl like very pretty very popular mm. with the public and Charles feels very kind of hard done by by that because he's this future king he's supposed to be the, the person in the limelight and Diana just steals all of that with her charm and her, and her looks and, and the way she treats the public and so you see this amazing combination of, of jealousy of, yep. of, of, of like uh, hatred of the fact that he can't marry the woman that he actually loves this kind of fake marriage that they're trying to pull off in public and it ends up boiling up into really really horrible places Chad yeah and all of that uh, kind of molds together into a character that you don't like 
ultimately. All of these yeah. things, all of that jealousy, all that negative emotion. Um, ultimately, I, I have very strong feelings towards Prince Charles as a result of watching this. Um, because you're right, Princess Diana, what a beautiful, kind of just sweet, uh, wonderful kind of soul and personality. Um, and there you have mm. this guy who is just cold, um, you know, not opening up to her kind of not giving it a chance ultimately is what is what it looks like is that's how it come, comes across in the crown and and all of that stuff about um you know feeling jealous about the amount of attention that she's getting all of that kind of thing it's just all those characteristics that you know we don't want to see in, in a person and certainly not the future king we want someone who is willing to to kind of stand behind his woman and and ultimately uh, revel in that kind of glory that she's getting because ultimately in the bigger picture people are actually thinking better of him because of her um but no you're right the, the way it comes across is that he is he's just jealous of all that attention and and i found it i found it fascinating I, and i think it, it throughout the board anyone who watched the uh, the crown season four i saw lots of stuff online lots of stuff on instagram um and and yeah people just not happy with with prince charles and it's an interesting discussion because here we're not talking about people who have passed away we're not talking about a journey that's happened we're talking about the future king um and i do find it a fascinating kind of uh, discussion point uh, when that transition does happen what's the what's the perception going to be and that transition is, is soon, hey, Chad. Mm. I mean, I know the queen seems immortal, but she's in her <laughs> late 90s. And you would yeah. think that in the next couple of years, at some point, uh, he will become the future king. Yeah. So the discussion online is, are him and Camilla going to be the most hated like king and queen ever mm. because of the way that's been portrayed? And so the timing of the series coming out right now when the queen is in her late 90s is going to make this a, a very, very different discussion than it would happen if it was like years away. Whereas his succession is 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 coming around the around, around the corner, um, and yeah. so like you say, I don't know how much of it is true. I don't know what to make of like, yeah. is that character true to who he is? Um, we've never seen that kind of behind mm. the scenes look into his real life, and so I wonder what he feels like sitting at home watching it, Chad. Like yeah. I wonder, like, like what does he? How does he respond to this sort of this sort of character assassination in a way? Yeah, and I mean, typically we get no response from from the royal family in fact that's very much uh, the the point right is that they don't express an opinion on anything but there was an episode yeah. where we saw a departure from that Barry and i think this i think this is factual and that is when the queen went uh, went to heads ultimately with margaret thatcher over south africa's sanctions uh, essentially the apartheid regime all of the other Commonwealth countries that entered into this agreement to impose sanctions on South Africa and, and try to get an end to, to apartheid ultimately. And Margaret Thatcher just wasn't keen on signing it off. Um, but the Queen expressed a, a bit of an opinion on that front. Yeah, it was, it was a key kind of turning point in the season because you, you began to realize that Margaret Thatcher ran on a pure economics basis. Yep. She was a very, very rational person. She didn't have the kind of emotion you would expect from, from a female leader. There, there wasn't that. It was a very cold kind of outer, outer layer. And all she worried about was the interests of the economy and interests of the, the, the British people. And so in that, in that episode, the, the Queen had to come in and say, listen, there are moral atrocities happening halfway across the world in one of our kingdoms, right? And if we don't kind of step in and, and do what's right, that like that that's a moral abomination. And yeah. and Margaret Thatcher was in this position where England were benefiting from the trade between the two countries, right? And and economically it was very, very tough to impose those sanctions. And so watching that that debate between those two women, this this prime minister who was this only female in this 
completely male-dominated parliament and had to become the strong, very, very headstrong person who was decisive and had to like push through all the stigmas of being the very first female leader, then having to realize that empathy is needed in this case and, and the queen trying to, to bring that out in her and, like you say, eventually leaking the information that she wasn't happy to try and kind of force the, force the behavior. It really was a fascinating piece of politics to watch and I... That's what makes world leadership so interesting to me and what makes it so difficult as a job because the amount of competing interests and the amount of competing things that are coming for you at all times is crazy. And when you have a queen and when you have like a, a, a sovereign who has so much kind of power and so much um, responsibility for that country, yeah. it becomes a whole nother level of stakes, right? Absolutely. Uh, and I mean, what a way to, to kind of learn about this history, Barry, which happened way before our time, before we were even thought about. Um, and to kind of watch it in, in this way, um, I, I just think it's, it's a great way to, to learn about things that, that have actually happened in the past. Like we said, not all of it is, is fact, a lot of it is fiction. But um, I just thoroughly enjoyed watching that dynamic play out and the casting again with, uh, you know, Gillian Anderson, just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Just adding to that point, Chad, this is the only show that I've ever watched where I sit on Wikipedia the whole time, yeah. Googling stuff, yeah. right? And that and that's the, that's, the, that's the show of how compelling the story is. Mm. And like you say, how it's a, it's actually a decent way to learn from history because I'm, yeah. I, I end up watching the show and then I end up Googling. I was watching YouTube videos of Diana herself and kind of like digging into some of the history. And so that's what really good storytelling can do. It can kind of force you to like look into these things more deeply. And so I don't know of any other show that I've set with Google on my phone while I watch. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I haven't either. And, and we also do that as well. We pause, hit pause, Make sure we both kind of give a bit of Google, even compare the actual photos to the actual people. Um, and it really is yeah. such an authentic uh, representation that everyone needs to watch. Now, one of the other characters, Barry, that I was fascinated about, and this definitely kind of prompted me to hit pause and to bring out my Wikipedia, is a guy by the name of Michael Fagan. A guy who had mm. lost his job, etc., etc. Things weren't going well under Thatcher's re regime. He went to his counselor and complained about everything. And the guy said, well, you know, go and talk to the queen. And that was just said in jest because, you know, realistically speaking, how the hell are you going to talk to the queen? This guy actually broke into Buckingham Palace. <laughs> he got his way into the queen's bedroom sat next to her bed, woke her up, and I think he had like seven minutes of dialogue with the queen. And that for me was just absolutely fascinating. When you've got this, this sovereign that, that has this, this palace that is guarded like 24 hours a day from all angles, and you actually have a guy break into her bedroom. I was fascinated by it. And he broke in twice, Chad. He did it twice, <laughs> which is absolutely crazy. Yeah, like like you say, when when it happened, I, I kind of went on to Google immediately because I'm yeah. like, okay, they've definitely made this part up. This yeah. is definitely part of the fiction. And it's like, no, it actually <laughs> was fact. Um, and it's it's one of those reminders that reality can be so much stranger than what you can think about, right? If you were to try and write a story like that, if you if you if you any screenwriting class, like this kind of story is perfect. You've got this the sovereign who has all the power in the world talking to this person who's on the absolute bottom rungs of society. And that really shouldn't happen. But the contrast of the two personalities, the way he gets into the palace, everything is just absolutely perfect storytelling. And the fact that it's reality is, is just amazing because you never would write that because no one would believe that if that 
yeah. if that was like a story, right? But the fact that it's real and that you watch that happen, you see the the queen's face when she recognizes yeah. that he's at, at the foot of her bed, and the way he tries to handle the conversation, the way the way she tries to call the police, yeah. the way he tries to kind of make his point, and she's trying to to kind of judge if this is a threat or not. It's a fascinating and one of my favorite scenes of the whole series so far. Um, and watching it is just—it's such a wonderful reminder of how leaders can get so distant and so far away from the realities of their their lived experience on the ground. Right? It's so easy to live in an ivory tower as a leader and kind of yep. see things from a, a very bird's eye perspective. And those those moments where you get to interact one on one with people who you, you are you yep. are purporting to serve and that's, yep. that you're supposed to be serving. Those moments are absolutely crucial, and I think that's what we see in the Queen's reaction to that that moment where he sees this this homeless, not homeless, this unemployed man yeah. standing at the edge of, his be- at edge of her bed. It's crazy. Yeah, it just is. It just is fascinating, and I mean, I'd love to know what was actually said in the room. I mean, I, w- I wonder how authentic that whole bit was. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I I do see the Queen in in a great light. I I do think she's she's a, such a wonderful person, and I do think she would have react in that way um as soon as assessing okay there's no imminent danger he's not going to actually hurt me uh let's give him a little bit of time but at the same time let's get some help on the way um and yeah i mean i I also found it was a fascinating scene Uh, i just loved it um and i can't i cannot believe that it's actually happened um it just makes me want to stand outside of buckingham palace again and just and just look and kind of (laughs) how did this happen like what the heck um yeah it's one of those things Barry, after all of that, shall we move on to develop and grow? Let's do it, Shay. Let's turn the mirror on ourselves. Develop and grow. It's the ever-important topic today, Barry. Uh, and we always, again, leave it to the end of the podcast. Uh, we've been talking about maybe moving <laughs> it up the order uh, because it is such an important piece of what Across the Pond is, this kind of self-development theme. Um, and today we are talking about something really important, Barry, which is stress management. Yeah, definitely, Chad. I, I've had a I've had a very stressful couple of days on my side, and so I've been thinking a lot about this. Is how do you, yep. in those moments of stress and anxiety, when you feel that pit in your stomach, and you feel like you feel like mm. in, in one of those moods where you're just a bit all over the place, and you're a bit overwhelmed by everything that's happening in your life, how do you kind of get out of that mode and? to be able to make important decisions, right? Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to make big decisions or kind of make big actions when you're in that state because mm. you're not thinking clearly. You're, you're kind of overwhelmed by the adrenaline and the, and the, and the, the everything that's happening around you. And yeah. it's important to be able to get away from that and manage that stress as best you can so you can make better decisions going forward. And it's something I've been very bad at throughout my whole life, Chad. I think I've got a little bit better in my last couple of years because I've been focusing more on mental health and more on kind of taking care of myself. And so I thought I'd share some of my 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 findings over the last couple of years. And they are all super obvious. That's the thing. They're all super obvious. But sometimes we need the reminder because when, when we're in that state, Chad, we don't think like we should be thinking. No, we don't. And I guess the, the first thing that before we get into these mitigating factors or kind of things you can do, actions you can take to, to feel better, Barry, I think we need to address uh, kind of recognizing where you are on the spectrum and it's a it's an important way to think of this. You are either and you, and everyone it kind of changes all the time. You are either surviving, or you are thriving, or you are somewhere in between uh, those two extremes. Um, and so I think you need to to try and figure out where it is that you are. And once you've figured out, okay, cool, uh, I'm actually 
you know, I'm, I'm thinking negatively about things that haven't yet happened. I'm, I'm kind of just, I'm just coping. I'm, I'm not, I'm not do, going out there and doing things that, that I enjoy doing. I'm, I'm, I'm not recognizing myself. Um, that's when you need to say, okay, cool. There's actions I can take. And these are, these are Barry's uh, actions that, that, that could help. It's such a good point, Chad, especially in 2020 when so many of us have like switched into that survival mode because the world has just been absolute chaos, right? And so it's a really, really practical example right now, and I think it's, it's, it's a really good way to bring that up. The way I think about this is I think about it as a toolkit, Chad. Hmm. So you kind of open your toolbox, and ideally, in those, in those moments of extreme panic, extreme stress, extreme anxiety, you want to be able to turn to certain things that, that you know work, and that the idea in my head is that you've got this mental toolbox that you're opening yep. up and you're going to pick something that's hopefully going to help you. The very first tool that I think is the most important and it's the one that I forget the most mm-hmm. is exercise, Chad. Yep. It is amazing how I can be sitting with an absolute pit in my stomach. I can be driving myself insane yep. for hours and hours on end. I will go for a run for 10 minutes, 10, 15 yep. minutes. I'll go for a run and everything will just drain out of my body mm. immediately. Yep. It is incredible how powerful exercise is. Just getting out there and sweating a little bit, getting the blood pumping, getting out of your environment of wherever you are at the moment. It is an absolute game changer, Chad, and it's something we forget about when we're in those moments of stress. You're so right. It's a wonderful gift that we've been given, really, is this ability to kind of invoke endorphins by, by just getting out there and doing a little bit of work. Um, and you're completely right. Once you get back, your whole perspective to life can be drastically different like drastically different doing an exercise session in the morning for example barry will completely alter the way your day could could work you can approach situations differently you got more confidence um you know you're just feeling more positive about things and i've certainly felt that myself as well and in this lockdown situation i've been struggling to get into that routine because of the fact that i have so many options i can exercise at many different times of the day and i've been struggling to to kind of force myself uh, ultimately to to get into some sort of routine and you're right it's just such a powerful tool that is trusted it works every time and it's one that we really need to rely on a lot more it's so important chat and like you say it's that lead domino that affects everything else in your day so if you can get yourself into a regular routine and i'm not saying you have to run marathons you don't have to yeah. like lift gazillions of, of kgs of weight in the, in the gym mm. find something small and something realistic that you can do on a, on a regular basis and i promise you it changes everything i think it's the world's best antidepressant i think it is absolutely powerful in every instance mm. and for anyone who's stressed that is the first thing in the toolkit if you're feeling overwhelmed get those running shoes on and go and take a walk go and take a little bit of a jog i promise mm. you in 10 15 minutes you'll come back and you'll feel like a different person yeah this the second piece of the toolkit, Chad, is something that I'm very, very bad at, and it's something that I've had to got a lot better in the last couple of years, mm. is that I tend to isolate myself. I've got this personality where when I'm struggling with something, I don't like asking for help because yeah. I feel like I, I feel like I've got this hero complex. I'm gonna take it all on myself, I'm gonna figure this out. And I try and outthink it instead of just kind of conversing with someone else and kind of bouncing the ideas of, of, of a friend. And yeah. so the second piece is talking to somebody, talking to a friend and asking for help when you need help. This is something I've I, I've been very bad at for years. In the last couple of years, I've really tried to force myself to when I'm in those states to talk about it to a friend because mm. just the act of talking to someone about it is therapeutic on its own yeah. right and you'll feel like much better afterwards. The yeah. friend doesn't have to have solutions. The friend mm. doesn't have to have a, an action plan. They don't have to solve the problem for you. But the mere act of talking it out loud reminds you that you're not alone and when you talk it out loud, you realize some of the fears and some of the worries that are in your head 
when they spoken out loud they don't sound as scary as they did chad yeah it's a simple one but it's so important it, it's a it's a crucial one barry and it's the reason why some people do pay for kind of professional like sort of help obviously there's there's other help that's given but a lot of that kind of relief that i think a lot of people experience when they do go to a counselor for example is that ability to to, to to just have a conversation ultimately. And you've you've got that. You've got friends. You've got a support network. Um, you should really counsel them and make use of them. Sometimes we like to think that people will, will judge us or we like to think that, um, you know, they'll think less of us. And in, in all honesty, we're all human. We all have problems. Maybe our problems are not the same, but every single person is dealing with something. And again, it's this gift that's been given to us in the, the kind of tribal nature, the way that we've you know, structured our societies um, is that we've got these people all around us and they are our support network and we, we should rely on them as well. So yeah, simple, but really important, Barry. Yeah, definitely. And I think we sometimes get into the trap of thinking that our friends are going to read our minds, mm. right? Or we think that it's their responsibility to, to probe enough to find out what's going on in our lives. Yep. And often it just takes like an honest conversation to phone up a friend and be like, listen, I'm really struggling. Here's what's happening. Please just listen to me vent for an hour. Yep. And I promise you that kind of that kind of session, the friend will appreciate it because then they know what's sure. going on in there because they, they want to help you, right? Yep. The, the yep. whole point of friendship is that you want to be there for someone when they're at their most difficult times. Exactly. But they can't read your mind. You have to be the person to say, listen, I'm struggling. I need help. And, and just getting over the pride factor of that mm. and realizing that we all go through ups and downs in our life. We all go through moments of darkness and moments of joy. And we have to be there for each other in the moments of darkness. Yep. But you, no one can help you if you don't kind of raise your hand and, and actually talk to somebody. And so that's something I'm trying to do in, in my life. And I think for a lot of people out there, it's, it's something to focus on when you're in those moments of stress. Definitely. And I think any kind of worthwhile friend that that's worthwhile to have in your in your arsenal um is is one that is mm. there in good times and bad um, we've all had those friends that that just want to only rely on us when things are bad and then when things are good completely forget forget about a person um, but but those friends who are who are there in good times and bad are those that we can always count on um, and you know not necessarily every single one of your friends is going to be going to fill that role there are friends who are only there for the good times. Um, and I, I guess it's important to know which is which. Um, and, you know, just make sure that in your support network, you do have some people, uh, even if it's just a handful, that you can rely on when, when things go bad. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. The third part of my toolkit, Chad, well, I don't know if it's my toolkit, but a <laughs> toolkit is um, breathing and meditation. Yep. In those moments of extreme anxiety, extreme stress, your heart starts to race, you start to like, the adrenaline starts to mm. fill your body, and you feel physically kind of all over the place and physically overwhelmed. Yep. And that is like a, a natural response that has been built into our human um, biology because back in the olden days, you'd be chased by a lion and you needed to have that adrenaline mm. to be able to get away from the lion, right? And that's kind of where it comes from. But in the modern world, you're not trying to outrun lions, you're trying to outrun <laughs> your own thoughts. And those are much harder to outrun because because you can't escape them. Mm. And so one of the techniques that has been very popular in the last couple of years and is, is super powerful, but very, very difficult to do, is in those moments to take, take a breath, to actually sit down and take some deep breaths. If it's for a couple of seconds, if it's for a minute or so, mm. and that deep breathing will actually help to lower the, the levels of adrenaline in your system and bring that physical reaction of stress down so you can handle things more rationally. 
So the meditation is kind of a more regular practice where you kind of set up, cool, every single morning I'm going to try and do five to ten minutes of meditation. And the, the benefits there are immense and lots mm. of people will swear by it, by it as kind of keeping them mentally stable throughout their weeks. But the breathing in the moment is also important. So regardless of what you do meditation-wise, if you're able to recognize when you're in one of those states of extreme stress, and I know Apple's got a little breathing yep. thing on their watch and yep. whatnot, but taking a minute to do three deep breaths I promise you the difference you'll feel is absolutely incredible. Yeah, you're so right. It's that biology that uh, ultimately is the result of us being in fight or flight mode far too many times in a day. Honestly, an, a deadline will pass or, or an email will pop up that we don't expect. And all of a sudden it triggers that response. But you're right, we have this mechanism that allows us to control it in a way. And it, yes, it does take a few seconds. Um, yes, you might feel like you're being a bit ridiculous, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> you know, no one needs to know you're doing it. Just uh, sit quietly, slowly kind of control your breath. Because I don't know about you, Barry, I have days where I get to the end of the day and I realize that my kind of breathing rhythm is just off. I'm just breathing in this like completely weird rhythm. Um, and, and that really affects my kind of mental state, uh, weirdly enough. Um, so I guess kind of the meditation part of it is, is kind of setting your rhythm, making sure you, you're kind of waking up from, from sleep where you're not actively thinking this really important thing that keeps us alive, ultimately, our breath, and making it an area of focus, really, which for a lot of people, it kind of just becomes this, this mechanism for keeping us alive uh, rather than this really powerful tool that can control all these emotions and all of these hormones that flow through our body. Without a doubt, I've been very inspired by the work of Wim Hof, who's kind of known as the Iceman, and he's got a lot of work on, on breath work and trying to improve the way you breathe because we don't think about it like that we think it's kind of just something happens in the background mm. we don't think about it um, directly but it really is a muscle and like you say in 21st century life we tend to breathe very shallow throughout the whole day yep. because there's just all these 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 dopamine hits and these interactions and then we distract it all the time and there's anxiety that builds up and whatnot and we get to the end of the day we realize we've been breathing shallow the whole day mm. and so what meditation and what these this breath work tries to do is try to teach your body that deep breaths the yeah. deeper the breath the more oxygen you get to your brain the better yeah. you're going to feel and the better decisions you're going to make yeah. and so it's something that's worth focusing on if you find yourself in those situations but even if you're doing well and if you're in a good space it still is a good exercise to get into because mm. it is the, it's the breath of life like there's a reason it's so foundational to the human experience it's not just something that happens in the background it is everything that fills you up and gives you the energy and the vitality to actually take on the world yeah, absolutely. So important, Barry. And actually, while you're listening to this, um, wherever you are, whatever position you're in, if you're driving in your car, if you're sitting uh, down on the couch, whatever it is, think about what your current posture is. And this is something that I came across this past week, Barry, and it, it's also really important. Because if, you are, if you're hunched over, your ribcage doesn't get the chance to expand. And what, you, what you're actually doing is you, you're kind of limiting the amount of breath that you can take in. And so if you think about people who, who drive kind of hunched over, um, and you know when you start to feel a bit sleepy while you're busy driving, it's because not enough oxygen is getting to your brain. Now, yes, sometimes if you're on just a long highway, it can be a little bit boring. But I honestly think a lot of the time, because of the position you have to be in when you're driving with your, your hands extended out to the front and, and you, you're kind of hunching over a little bit, you're not able to to breathe that, all, that, all of that air in that, that you should be able to. And so if you feel that as well, just kind of take note of your posture. Um, and I also think that's quite important as well. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point. And I think for so many of us who work in front of computers as well, mm. that posture is so, so crucial. When you're sitting hunched over the computer mm. and you get that email of the boss who's, who's screaming at you for something, you have a real physical response, right? And if you're able to kind of fix that posture, take a breath before you respond with all caps to your email, <laughs> and kind of take that moment, that, that moment to just kind of breathe, you're going to make much better decisions. Yep. And at the end of the day, it's this 21st century where we think we have to rush everything. Mm. We think everything has to happen at a thousand miles an hour. And focusing on your breathing for, for moments during the day just reminds you that, okay, it's okay to just be a human being for a second, right? It's okay to mm. just sit, breathe, extend, stretch a bit. Those little moments are what adds up to be able to manage stress across a day, across a week, across a lifetime. Can I tell you something else I've been doing this week, Barry, that's just really sim simple, and I don't know if I would recommend it necessarily, but it's helped with me a bit with stress management this past week. And that is like taking my watch off. I, this week, have not had my watch on because I, myself, my personality, I invoke stress in itself, knowing that I have not been productive. So I look at, I look at the time constantly. I look at this, this time window, and I think about all this time that I've lost. Um, where, you know, actually, I work a full-time job, and actually, my free time should be spent uh, resting, like doing things I love, not aiming for, you know, productivity goals. Um, and although it sounds really simple, and it's maybe a bit silly, because maybe I've been late for one or two things, um, I've just not <laughs> had my watch on me uh, all the time when I'm in the shower, when I'm, you know, just doing things, looking at looking at the time, looking at all this time that I'm wasting uh, in inverted mm. commas, um, which which I thought has, has been quite interesting too. I really like that, Chad. I really like that. It, it almost reminds me of that idea of, of kind of leaving your phone at home and kind mm. of going into nature and getting away yep. from the screens and away from all the external inputs because all the screens and everything we wear, the watches specifically, are notifications are coming yep. in. And, and yep. like you say, the time is there and there's all this incoming um, stuff. And it's nice to be able to take that off and kind of get away. I think another another good way to do it is to kind of take a nice long bath and put some music yep. on and put all your screens away and just yep. spend some time just with yourself without anything else. Um, that can be really powerful as well. So thanks for that tip. I must try the watch thing. That, that sounds like a, a good way to go. Yeah, hopefully hopefully you, you don't miss as much uh, as many deadlines or, or whatever <laughs> the case is. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it, especially with the notifications, the, the evolution of what the watch has become, Barry. I think that's the, that's the whole thing. It's constantly tracking every movement, yeah. every heartbeat, all of that stuff. Um, and, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's a little bit too much data, a little bit too much information. Um, so, yeah, it's helped me, certainly. Yeah. Great place, again, to end a jam-packed episode. We had a lot more to talk about, but, uh, you know, we are bound by the limitations of time. Uh, this, this watch <laughs> is, a, is a great reminder of that. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll obviously move that over to next week. But it's been a great episode anyway, Barry. It has, Chad. It's been, I've really enjoyed it. It's been really good to chat. And uh, you've come alive throughout the podcast. So I'm glad to oh, see thanks. if you're <laughs> now back into your Sunday. Um, and it's been really, really good. Episode 56 in the bag. Um, I really love doing this. I always say this, but yeah. I can't stop myself. It's, it's really a lot of fun making these podcasts. And thank you for listening and watching if you made it this far. You're a legend. Thank you very much. As always, do check us out on all social media platforms on Twitter at Across underscore podcast, Instagram at Across the Podcast, and Facebook Across the Pond Podcast. As always, recommend us, please, to any of your friends who might enjoy listening to us. Uh, we want to, you know, reach as many people as possible. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.